Today we're talking about one of the feasts from the Old Testament and we're looking at how it is a picture of Jesus in the New Testament. Some really interesting stuff. Um, one of the reasons uh, to come to the first service is uh, I kind of try out the material on them and then second service we refine it a little bit. So one of the things I noticed was uh, I, I went a little bit too fast so I'm going to slow down some. There's a lot of information so I need you to put your thinking caps on, all of you. And you're going to want to, uh, let's say it like this, you're going to have to file some things away in the first part of the sermon because in the end it's going to really kind of come together, okay? Uh, are you up for it? Yeah. Okay, that was not really convincing, but okay. All right, all right, we'll, we'll try it. We'll give it a go. So I posted a, a question on Facebook because this particular feast that we're going to talk about today, really in the feast it's a day, it's called the Day of Atonement, but this thing that God prescribed in the Old Testament, the, the really interesting thing about all of these feasts, there are seven of them. There were four in the spring, three in the fall. And we did all four as kind of a clump a couple of weeks ago. I'll go back and revisit those in June, and we'll do all four of them individually because there's just too much stuff, and I don't want you to miss any of it. But So we, we've gotten to the fall ones, and this particular um, day has the most important job in all the world at that time for one day a year. Really, really important. So I posted on Facebook, what was the most important job you've ever had? And I posted that, and within about six seconds, I had 20 people say being a parent. And so I had to rephrase the question because, I, you know, I understand being a parent, and it really is the most important job. But I was kind of looking for something else, so I had to rephrase it. What's the most important non-parental job you've ever had? And I had a lot of people talk about uh, they felt like their most important job has been, uh, apart from being a parent, has been to be uh, an educator. I had a lot of people with that. Several people talked about their military service, and if that was you, you know, thank you for your service to our country. Um, we had folks who are uh, first responders, a lot of those folks, um, that's really, really important. Uh, some others, uh, being a spouse, that really is an important task that we take on. Nurses, uh, somebody had a daycare operator as uh, her uh, number one or most important job she felt like she'd ever had. Had a couple people talk about working with people who were coming through addictions, really important jobs that they had. I uh, had some folks to talk about taking care of their parents who are elderly, which is a great job and an important job. Um, I have a really good friend who is a wastewater treatment plant supervisor. And uh, you think about that, you, we all need clean water, and, and he was right. That's a really important job. We all need that. Um, I had a guy, he said, you know, his most important job was being an auto technician. And I thought, well, okay, the guy working on your brakes, you do want him to really pay attention, so that makes sense. And then there were some that didn't get mentioned that probably should have. Maybe it's just because I don't know anybody that's a garbage collector. But you think about the guys who collect the garbage and gals who collect garbage. I, I read a statistic the other day that said in a big city, if the garbage wasn't collected, and I forget for how long, three months or something, that 75% of the people in the, in the city, a large city, would be sick and many would die just because of the disease that these folks carry away with the refuge. So that's really um, important uh, task. Uh, I don't know that we mentioned um, 
farmers and ranchers and uh, uh, people who fish for a living, but that's really important because, look, if we didn't have those people, we'd all be hunters and gatherers, and as many of us that live in um, a Greenville area, there's only so many squirrels to go around. I mean, you know, we're going to run out, so it's really important that somebody does some stuff like that. A couple of months ago when the trees uh, blew over and everybody's power lines were out, we would say most important job at that point were utility workers, and so... It's interesting to me that there are these important jobs that we do, and everybody's job in some way or the other is important. But on the Day of Atonement, that's what we're talking about today, there was one guy who had the most strategic job in all the world, and it lasted for a day. Now, there were prep time, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but he had to be on his game. Now, atonement isn't a word we use very much. By the way, the, the, the uh, Hebrews call this Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means to cover, to cover. We'll talk about that in just a second. But atonement isn't a word we use very much, but we experience it. Um, if you are caught uh, exceeding the speed limit and you're given a ticket, you make atonement by paying a fine. We know what that feels like. Um, if you say something you shouldn't say, you might, you might make atonement by apologizing. You, you, you've experienced that before. In the Catholic tradition, um, you would sin and you would go into a confessional. Uh, they, people, Catholic people still do this. And they confess their sins to a priest and he tells them something to do to make atonement. Hail Marys or Our Fathers or you do something to make atonement. Uh, you forget your anniversary, or you forget that it's Mother's Day, and you don't get your wife a gift. I really don't know how you make atonement, but I, I'm sure uh, that might be possible, I guess. Well, so last week we started these last three feasts, the fall feasts. And the first one was the Feast of Trumpets. They blow these shofar horns a hundred times, and it was sort of an alert. Hey, everybody, it's time to get serious about your life. We want to really take some time to think about where we are spiritually with God. And so the Feast of, of Trumpets began what they call the Ten Days of Awe, A-W-E, the Ten Days of Awe, which is just this time where they would deeply reflect and repent and they would take time to make sure their relationship with God was right. It was the most serious time in the, the Jewish calendar. It's a really, really big deal and they wanted to make sure they were ready. And so the idea in the Jewish mind was that on this 10 days of awe, at the beginning, the, uh, when the blowing of the trumpets, that God would check the books of life. There's the, well, the books. There's the book of life. If you, uh, again, in the Jewish mind, they thought if you'd done more good than bad, then your name would be in the book of life. If you'd done uh, way more bad than good, your name would be in the book of death. And then there was a middle book, kind of a, you're, you're teetering. You might get in, you might get out. And so the ten days of awe gave you an opportunity to reflect and repent and regain God's favor by doing good stuff. And so, let's say, you know, you hadn't quite, uh, you, you were a little worried that you might not be in the book of life, so, uh, you know, you, you make a donation to the United Way, or you go and help some kids learn to read, or something. I mean, you do something to help your um, position in the kingdom. It's kind of, kind of what the idea around this was. All right, so, the, the word Yom Kippur means to cover. 
And we're going to talk about some... In the Old Testament, they did things that we just don't do today. We're modern people. We think differently. We don't... Some of this sounds really barbaric. But they offered animal sacrifices, and it took blood of the animals, and that was what... Uh, caused or uh, allowed forgiveness by God. It's really, it, it seems horrible and it seems cruel. And part of our problem is we don't understand all, always the seriousness of sin. And so from the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned and then they knew that they, in Kentucky we say they, they knew they was naked, you know, they knew they, they didn't have clothes on, they knew that they had sinned. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and God looked at that, and that wasn't, a, um, that wasn't an adequate covering. And so God uh, killed animals and took their skins and made them clothes, and that shedding of blood is what it took to cover the sin. It, this is an interesting word. Atonement is really an invented word. I don't know if you know the history of the English Bible, but for a long time there was no English translation of Scripture. Um, the Old Testament was Hebrew, the New Testament was Greek, uh, they translated it into Latin, a lot of folks, uh, it's called the Latin Vulgate, a lot of folks when you went to church, um, especially for the first, uh, you know, uh, 1,000, 1,500 years after Jesus, um, you just went to church and somebody read you Latin, and if you didn't read, understand Latin, you didn't understand what was going on in the church service. And so it was really, there's a real disconnect between the priests or the preachers and people in the, in the pew, because nobody could understand what was going on. And so there were some men who were very brave who began to translate into English the Latin Vulgate, or the Old Testament, New Testament, in Hebrew or Greek. Uh, it was illegal to do this, remarkably. The church had a lot of power. They liked that. Nobody could really understand it, so you had to go to the church to understand things. You couldn't read it for yourself. And so we, you know names like Martin Luther, who uh, translated the, the, uh, the Bible into, into German, and, and he was uh, persecuted and, and was eventually uh, executed for translating the Bible out of Latin. We have an English translation, it's called the King James Version, you all know that one, it came out in 1611, that's when it's translated, but before that there was a guy named William Tyndale, he was kind of the, on the the front end of translating the Bible into English. And he couldn't come up with a word for what happens with uh, salvation. Um, the, on the Day of Atonement, something happens. Sins are covered. That's what Yom Kippur means. They're covered. But, but there's a second kind of aspect to this, and it is not only are the sins covered, but there's a restoration of relationship with God. Sins are covered. Relationships restored. Sins recovered, relationships restored. And so he came up with this word, at one meant to be at one with God. My sins are forgiven, my uh, relationship with God is restored. And so the word comes from a guy named William Tyndale. Now, God establishes these seven feasts. Uh, this is the sixth in, the, in the, the year, the calendar year, and it's called the Day of Atonement. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement. You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly. This was really called a high holy day. It was like 
there were holy days and there are special holy days. And this was a special holy day, a high holy day. Uh, a day to deny yourself and present special gifts to the Lord. Now, when it talks about deny yourself, most likely this means uh, that they were fasting. Um, we don't fast a lot anymore. We probably should. Think about this. When you deny yourself food, what you're saying, you're disciplining yourself to say, I don't always get what I want. <laughs> it's a really good lesson for us to be reminded of. I don't have to always get what I crave. You know, there are commercials, obey the crave. No, um, obey God. You know, you don't have to obey the crave. You don't have to do that. And so they would deny themselves. On the Day of Atonement, um, most scholars believe they would take the whole day. They wouldn't even drink any water or wine. They wouldn't uh, eat anything. They would take 24 hours to do simply nothing but reflection and repenting and making sure they were in right status with God. And when offerings of purification are made on this Day of Atonement, making you right with the Lord your God, covering your sin and restoring this relationship. God's love is boundless, but it's not free. It costs somebody something. When I hear politicians say, we're going to give you free you know, health care or free, that nothing's free. Somebody gets taxed. It's taken from somebody and given to you. That's just how it works. Salvation isn't free. Now, it is a gift and it can be given to you, but it costs somebody something. And so, in the Old Testament, God paints this picture of how serious this is. So, well, let's just kind of get into it. What God is showing us in the picture of the Day of Atonement. Number one is that sin's a problem. It is a really big problem. And the New Testament says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Just because I don't admit that I have sin doesn't mean I don't have sin. Just because I don't want to... Um, Believe the Bible, what the Bible tells me is sin. I don't have to believe it, it still is sin. And we're built to sin, we really are. We have a sin nature, we're kind of born with it, it's just how it happens. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say mine and to be a little jerk. Uh, they just they come by it natural. You gave it to them, they got it from you. And uh, so uh, we, we sin by nature. There was this really interesting, I read this article the other day, about the uh, petrified forest in Arizona. I've never been, but I really would like to go sometime. And... They were worried because people were taking little pieces of petrified wood as souvenirs. And so they decided, okay, we're going to erect some signs. And, and the sign would say, your heritage is being vandalized to the tune of 14, million, uh, I'm sorry, 14 tons a year, mostly small pieces at a time. Now, what they were doing is they were appealing to morality to uh, my good heart. I, oh, if we're destroying the heritage, then I'm not going to take any of these little pieces of wood. They decided to see how effective those were, these signs. So on some trails, they would post the sign, and on other trails, they wouldn't. <laughs> the signs posting trails, uh, people were three times more likely to take uh, the petrified wood because nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? That's kind of our attitude. You're going to tell me? Uh, or all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, I better get my peace before, everybody, before they're all gone. You know? So we, we're just prone to sin. Uh, we, we don't even have to try. We, we're just built for it. The Bible says all have sinned. We, we all have it. 
And the Bible also says it's really serious. The wages of sin is death. And so God is painting this picture that, hey, sin is really bad, and we all have it. All right, so let me, let me set the scene for you. There's this temple. I have a, 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 a drawing of it. doesn't do it justice, but I don't know how to show it any better way. Uh, inside the walls, there's estimates that between 200 and 220,000 people could gather. Think about how big that is. That's huge. 200, 200 to 220,000 people inside the walls. The stones that build this, when they built it, King Herod built the second one. Solomon built the first one. King Herod built the second one. The first one was destroyed. Herod employed 18,000 people on this building project. Um, they didn't quarry, uh, they didn't work with the stones on site. So they would quarry them and they would sculpt them and they would get them in the right dimensions and then somehow they would transport these huge stones to the site. We, we still don't know how they did it. They found stones in this building that are 10 by 10 by 80. <laughs> the sheer weight, even today we don't really have machines that could move something like that. Just... All right, so I, I, I redneck stepped this off uh, our building. You know, my daddy used to say three, six. So I did that. We're about 70 feet wide. So 10 by 10 by as wide as this building were the size of these stones, some of these stones in this. So not only did they, they, they cut them out and they hewed them someplace, and then they brought them on site and stacked them somehow. No, we don't really know how they did it. And this is the building that we're talking about. Josephus, who was one of the um, historians of the day, talked about the gold and that there were, there were clusters of gold the size of men. Now, people back then weren't quite as big as they are today, but still, uh, clusters of gold the size of men would be a quite impressive sight. And you have hundreds, tens, and hundreds of thousands of people gathered at the temple for this holy, high holy day. Because this high priest had to take this one sacrifice into the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, and offer it for everybody. And it's interesting, the Jewish, Jewish people think more uh, pictorially, they, they think in pictures. They're also very more, much more communal than us, they, they think about salvation as a national thing. Um, we think more in lists, and we need definitions of things. It's um, so why I think we don't always get the mystery of God, because God, He's mysterious, and we, don't, we can't always figure Him out, because He's just different than us. And we're not comfortable with that, because we like lists, and we want to know, well, these are the seven things God does. Well, God does what He wants to do, and He's different than us. But on this high holy day, the high priest would prepare to take this offering in to that place where the gold roof is, the Holy of Holies. Now, you only entered the way God told you to enter. So look at what it says here. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, who was the high priest at the time, not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. Sin has to be taken care of the way God says it has to be taken care of. If you go to the dentist and he says you have a cavity, you don't have a lot of choice as to how that's going to be taken care of. The, the dentist has a little drill. You know that sound. 
uh, and, and it sends the hair on the back of your neck up, and you hate it, and then when they drill, you got that smell, and then he puts, you know, some uh, uh, silly putty in there, and, and he fashions it. Now, look, you could come to my house. I have a drill, and I have some Bondo. I hook you up, but you go to a specialist and you do it the way the specialist says it needs to be done. You don't just walk in. And, it's like to, to tell Aaron not just to come in. He's got to come in when I say he comes in, and he's got to come in how he says I have to come in. You don't just go in. Look, if you want to meet somebody famous, let's say you wanted to meet the one lone surviving member of the greatest pop group in American history. You know what I'm talking about. Barry Gibb of Bee Gees. Uh, if you wanted to meet Barry Gibb, stand alive. Uh, if you wanted to meet Barry Gibb, you don't just walk up to Barry Gibb. You, you've got to call somebody. You've got to make an appointment. You've got you to do something. So you don't just walk in. <laughs> By the way, uh, I don't mean to relate Barry Gibb and God uh, as equal. I'm not saying that anyway at all. But you have to do it the way the, the persons, you approach them on their conditions. So God is saying to Moses, <laughs> you need to tell your brother that he can't just come in anytime he wants to. Now, Aaron had some sons. A couple of them were named uh, Adab and Abihu. Great names. It says that God struck them dead because they offered, I forget what the word is, but in improper fire. They didn't do it the right way. And so you didn't have to tell Aaron twice, hey, dude, you might want to go in the right way. Aaron, Aaron had experience with this. And so this sort of carried down to the other high priests. Um, sin has to be eradicated. We've got to take care of it. A lot of people have this, well, me and God got this, uh, got this agreement. You know? No, you don't. You think you've got an agreement. You know what? The, God tells us how we are saved. We don't get to figure it out on our own. We don't get to do our own thing. God tells us how to. It's always been that way. He's painted that picture in the Old Testament, and it's the same way with the New Testament. All right, let's go on. Sin can be eradicated. Now, this is the great news. This is good news. Hey, our sins can be taken away. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary. Not the way he wants to. Not, he, didn't, he doesn't get to make it up. With a young bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he is to put on, this is really interesting to me. He has to put on a sacred, sacred linen tunic with linen... <laughs> Undergarment, the only time I know of that they talk about drawers in the Bible, right here. Uh, with linen undergarments next to his body, uh, he is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. It's all about the linen, evidently. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself. You can't put on the sacred garments and be all dirty. You know, you, you got you to wash up first before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two... This is really super interesting. All right, file file this one. This is important. Take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burn offering. We're going to talk about those goats in just a second. The Feast of Trumpets happens. Ten days of all happen. And the high priest goes into prep mode. Because he knows in a few days, I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies. Listen. 
The one thing you don't want to do going into the Holy Holies is go in there and not do it right. They were so afraid of this that they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist in case he got in there and did something wrong and God struck him dead, they would be able to pull him out. We are talking really, really important stuff. Now, there are some jobs. I got to think about this. What jobs would I not want to have? There are several. I don't want to be president. They all begin with P. I thought that was interesting. Who wants to have, like, the keys to the nuclear code? Who wants to do... Look, we complain about him, whoever it is. Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. If it's a Democrat, the Republicans complain. If it's a Republican, the Democrats complain. I get all that, and I understand. Nobody wants that job. I don't know why you'd want that job. You'd have to be a little bit off just to want it. Who wants that kind of pressure? And I've watched enough episodes of Cops to know I never want to be a police officer because everybody lies to you. No, man, that ain't my pot. Well, it was in your hand. Well, yeah, but my sister gave it to me. Okay, okay. I saw one guy one time with a hat, and he, he, the, the, the officer said, take your hat off, and he took it off, and, and uh, some paraphernalia, some drug paraphernalia fell out, and he said, whose is that? And he goes, that's my brother's. It's like, okay, come on, man. Come on now. <laughs> Plumber, for obvious reasons. And you don't really want to be the high priest. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. There's, I would think there's the fear of dying, but also, what if you did it wrong? You carried the weight of everybody's sins being forgiven if you didn't do this right. And so he had to offer sacrifices and he had to do it the way God wanted him to do it. And this notion of sacrificing blood, look what it says in Hebrews, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified by the sprinkling with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And it seems gruesome, and it seems harsh, and it seems repulsive. And I think God wants us to understand the solution is gruesome and harsh and repulsive because sin is gruesome and harsh and repulsive. And you had to offer blood because the life of every living thing is in the blood. It took life to forgive Sin it took blood to forgive sin. And these innocent animals didn't do anything to deserve this. And it, that's sort of the picture God is painting. Now, Aaron has to offer some sacrifices. He is to offer the bull for his own sin, for his family, to make atonement for himself and his household. And then he is to take the two male goats, present them before the Lord. This means... Basically, he's got these two goats, and he prays over them, and he says, God, pick. So, one goat is before the Lord. Uh, He is to uh, present before the Lord at the tent of meetings. He is to sacrifice one goat, and he is to cast lots for these two goats, and one is for the Lord, and the other is a scapegoat. You've heard that language before. It comes from here. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. Now, Tradition has it that what the rabbis would do, what the high priest would do, is he would cast lots. I don't know if that's like throwing dice. I really don't know how it works. But he would somehow ask God to, to pick of one of these two goats. The one who was destined for sacrifice, uh, according to tradition, he would tie a red cord around its neck, which makes sense because that, that's where they would uh, butcher the animal that way. And he tied a red cord around the horns of the one who was going to be the scapegoat, would be let go. 
file that away. It's really important. All right? A red cord around the neck of the one to be sacrificed, a red cord around the head of the one that was to be let go. This scapegoat idea. The goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. The high priest would place his hands on the head of the goat. Both hands. <laughs> uh, takes two hands to handle a whopper. Uh, and so uh, he put both hands on the goat and somehow miraculously he would pray to God, God, take the sins of the nation and place it on uh, this goat. And then... You have a loaded goat. I mean, the one thing you don't want that goat to ever do is come back into the community, right? You don't take him like a block away and then the goat wanders back in one day. You don't need that. So they would secure a person to take the goat far, far, far away. Now, no Jewish person is going to want to be carrying the goat or, or leading the goat with all the sin on it. So they would, they would secure a guy who was a Gentile. It's really important because no Jewish person wants to fool with this goat. So this, according to tradition, uh, the, the Gentile would carry the goat into the wilderness far, far away. There's even some scholars and there are some uh, traditions from that time that say uh, the Gentile would take him way out and then he would find a cliff and throw him off the cliff so he'd never return. Because once sin is taken away, you don't want it to ever return. All right, so what's the message for us? A couple things. Oh, by the way, this is important. The scapegoat, the Hebrew word is azazel. The word literally means take away. Azazel. File that away. That's important. All right, what it means for us. Sin's still a problem. It hadn't gotten any better. We still sin. I don't know if you noticed that. In fact, we're a little more arrogant about it today. We sing songs about it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. We're a little arrogant. I did it my way. I read something the other day. This lady said, I love Jesus, but I still do what I want to do. Well, no, you don't. You love Jesus and you deny yourself because that's what Jesus said to do. He said, if you want to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. That's in there. In fact, it's in red letters. It's really important. We, we, we think we could just bargain with God. Oh, uh, I'm so important that God's going to have to make a deal with me. I don't think so. It just isn't how it works. So sin's still bad, and we still need help eradicating it. We don't do it the same way as we used to. What we have is a high-quality high priest who took our place once and for all. Look what it says in Hebrews. The law appointed high priests back in the day who were limited because they were still sinful by their human weakness. But God appointed His Son and His Son has been made the perfect high priest forever. In the Old Testament, this had to happen every year. But, and by the way, we have things that happen every year. Spring cleaning, right? Spring cleaning, we do that every year. Uh, annual physical, that's the word annual. Uh, you do it every year. Um, getting your teeth cleaned at least once a year. Cleaning out your gutters every year. Uh, you have to listen to amateur fireworks people on 4th of July, 3rd of July, 5th of July, 6th of July, 2nd of July. Every year, every year that happens. 
We have to pay taxes every year. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could do some of those things once and be done with it? And I'm sure the people who were offering these sacrifices thought to themselves, I wish we could do this once and for all. Well, look. So Christ has now become the high priest once for all time. He took the blood into the most holy place, but not the blood of goats and calves. He took His own blood, and with it He secured our salvation. And what's the next word? Forever. We don't have to do it every year. We don't have to keep doing it. It's been done. Now, you got your thinking caps on? I'm going to close strong, all right? I'm going to close strong. Really interesting stuff. God knows everything. So He foreknew, he, fore he, fore paint, he painted this picture before Jesus ever came. This picture of the Old Testament sacrifice, really interesting. All right, let me, let me show you a couple things. The red cord around the goat's head, remember? Um, so, Jesus stood before Pilate, and he was falsely accused, but was also falsely convicted. And then Herod, uh, I'm sorry, Pilate, um, he did something. Look. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted a, a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, I don't know if you know uh, much about anatomy, but if you put a crown of thorns on your head and you push it down, something, something's likely to happen. What is that? It's going to, going to bleed. And what color is blood? And where is this circle of blood? Hmm. Sounds a little bit like scapegoat. And when, when Pilate brought Jesus out to the crowd and he said, this is your king. And they said, take him away. Take him away. Remember what Azazel means? It means take him away. It's likely that the Jews in Jerusalem on this day say about Jesus, Azazel. He's the one with the red around his head. He's the one that they say, take him away. And you'll recall, right, that it wasn't a Jew that would take the scapegoat out of town. It was... A Gentile. And Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to the Romans, to the Gentiles, to take him away. This picture of scapegoat has been around forever. Look what it says in Isaiah. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt of us all. Hmm. There's this interesting tradition in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of teachings around um, Jewish life from uh, ancient times. Now, this red cord that they tied around the head of the goat, they didn't send the goat out with the cord. They would take the cord and they would uh, nail it to the doorpost of the temple. 
They'd offer this sacrifice of one of the goats. They'd send the scapegoat off. They would take the cord. They would nail it to the doorpost of the temple. And uh, according to tradition, according to Jewish tradition, during the year, this, this red cord would turn white during the year. And the notion was, their idea was, hey, that's turning white because God has forgiven our sins for this year. Now, witnesses say that the cord stopped turning white about 40 years before the temple was destroyed. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., about 40 years, back up about 40 years, and the cord stopped turning white. What happened about 30 A.D.? You know. Yeah, it's when Jesus' sacrifice started taking precedent. The cord didn't turn white anymore because... That sacrifice didn't work like that anymore. In fact, it says, and by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest typically wore this ornate garment, had a breastplate and and it had bells on the, the bottom. And you could hear him coming because he would kind of, like a cat with one of those you know, collars with a bell on it. He would walk and people would know he was there. The high priest had a high priestly robe. But when he went in to offer these sacrifices, he uh, stripped that robe off and he put on white linen, plain, holy clothes. They were no less holy, they just weren't as ornate which is really interesting because it says about Christ that he was truly God, but he didn't consider remaining equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything. He stripped off his royal robes in order to become a man. It says here, become a slave when he became like one of us. I'm going to give you one more. The high priest, before he would go in, to offer these sacrifices. They would anoint him with holy oil. The, the word, the Hebrew word for anoint is Mashiach. It means the anointed one. Hmm. Look what it says in John 1. By the way, John talks about all these feasts. One of the two disciples who heard John's word and began to follow Jesus was a man named Andrew. He was the first of his, uh, he first found his brother, Simon Peter, and told him, we have found the anointed one. We have found the Mishiah, Messiah. The blood doesn't take effect unless it's applied. So I want to end with this. Let me show you one more verse. Two more verses, sorry. The Lord, uh, this is a conversation between God and, and Moses. And God says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's, it's almost like it's, it's a bit redundant, but each of those words means something else. Wickedness literally means to take a crooked path. You're walking a path that you know is wrong. Rebellion means to intentionally sort of thumb our nose in God's face and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is when we sort of sometimes slip into things. Maybe we didn't know it was sin, but then we figure it out it's sin. And what God wants to say to us today is it really doesn't matter what level of sin you've committed. His love 
and forgiveness are comprehensive. When I was in uh, college or high school, I'd come into class and the teacher would say, the exam is going to be comprehensive. And I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, and so I'd be like, what does that even mean? And it's like it, it covers everything. And then once I knew it, what it meant, it was horrible. Well, this is good news. What God is saying in this couple of verses is His love and forgiveness cover everything. So the question we're going to end with today is, have you, have you accepted that forgiveness? Wouldn't it be a shame for Jesus to do what He did for us and for us to not take advantage of it? Wouldn't it be a shame for somebody to love us that much and us not love Him back? be a shame if Jesus offered His blood to forgive our sins and we don't accept that or we don't acknowledge that or we don't embrace it. Wouldn't it be a shame? When Jesus did this, He did it for us, for you. You might think, well, He did it for other, he did it for other people, but He did it for you. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask God if, if you haven't ever accepted God's gift to us, that Jesus covered our sins and He made a way for us to be restored. Didn't just cover our sins, but now we have relationship with Him. Father, we're thankful for what You've done, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I pray humbly that you would draw people unto yourself right now. That if there be anyone here who doesn't know for sure, this has eternal consequences. Let's just get this settled. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for painting a picture so long ago that it was, almost, it was like road signs leading us to Jesus. Thank you for all of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.